You're listening to a podcast of Your Pet Matters with me, Dr. Michael Tequila, Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. on 1077thebronc.com. Everyone has a weekend pet project, and our producer does too. It's time for the producer's pet project, your source for pet news, recall alerts, adoption services, and helpful tips and tricks to make sure your pet is as happy, healthy, and safe as they can be. The producer's pet project is underwritten in part by your other family doctor, the Animal Hospital at Kingston and Blauenberg. Small hospital, big medicine. Good morning and welcome to Your Pet Matters. I'm your host, Michael Dr. T. Tequila, and we're coming to you right here from the Bronx Radio Station on Ryder University campus at 107.7 FM. Don't forget, if you can't listen to our show live, you can always download the app. It's WRRC1 on Android or iOS, and you can listen to the shows at your leisure. We got a great lineup of educational shows all weekend. So, As you've seen, the weather has been incredibly rainy lately. Lots of flooding going on. Uh, Welcome to global warming, or as the scientists are now calling it, climate crisis. I think it's very important that we we deal with that. This has nothing to do with the content of this radio show, but um, there's a statistic saying that there's a possibility if things keep going the way they are, that by 2040, that's 21 years away, that is most of you graduates are gonna be in their early 40s, that the coral reefs could be completely destroyed. So it's incredibly important that we start looking at our resources, we start looking at our planet. The other thing that I saw recently is that at the deepest part of the ocean, they found evidence of some plastic. So plastic products, they're everywhere. We really need to reduce, reuse, recycle, embrace solar power, whatever it takes, because this is our future. We only have one planet. I don't know if 21 years from now we're going to be able to colonize other planets. I certainly hope that SpaceX and Blue Origin really get their gears going and they're able to take us out to those areas so we can actually um, um, take some species that are dying here. I don't know how many species are dying every day. But definitely think about the planet, especially now. Okay, let me get off that soapbox. So um, what I wanted to talk about today is I'm sure there is tons, there are tons of people out there that um, when you watch your dog, and it's always a joke about that, you see your dog scooting dragging their butt across the carpet, the floor, whatever it is. They made commercials about it. It's been parts of movies and everything. And uh, it's something that I deal with on a daily basis. I'm dealing with it a bit more now with the rainy season. Uh, With the rainy season, we have a lot of, we have a lot of vomiting and diarrhea at this time of year your, your pets are getting out there it's all this runoff um, there's wonderful smells out there for them and they're they're eating things and they're getting into things a parasite load is incredibly high this time of year so we get a lot of uh, vomiting and diarrhea and with that uh, and any future veterinarians out there I always joke to the students that want to become veterinarians that there's there is no way there is no way that you can become a veterinarian in day practice without having to do anal glands. I say it's our bread and butter because I end up doing it every 
day. There's not a day that I haven't done anal glands. In fact, this week I did three in a row. The first three appointments had to check the anal glands on them. Um, so what are anal glands and, and what relevance do they have to the vomiting and diarrhea? So with the diarrhea, it is very important if there's any gastrointestinal issue that you do a rectal exam. I think that's just part and parcel of, uh, of good medicine. And with that, you know, I'm gloved up, I'm lubed up, I'm in the rear end, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, no better time than to check the anal glands. So, so what are the anal glands? Well, well, they are basically scent glands. They're glands that um, are designed so that the way I describe it to my clientele is that it's how a dog or cat um, signifies self. You ever wonder why dogs smell each other's butts? It's, it's not just a greeting, it's, it's oh, who are you? What are you, you know? Um, it's that scent to that, to that individual. And, and in the years of practice that I've come to see, there are basically three basic categories of scent, uh, not to gross anyone out. There is the fishy smell, there is the metallic smell, and there is that mother of God, oh, what is that smell category? So typically there are, there are three categories there and um, it's inevitable that during the exam when I express the anal glands that I describe this to the clientele and I talk about things and everyone smells it. It doesn't matter, everyone smells it. Um, so they're basically scent glands that are designed to identify self. That is the best, best way to uh, describe things. They, they, they are present in us, which I'm not gonna talk about. They're present in dogs and cats as well. So um, I rarely have to deal with that in cats, but I often have to deal with that in dogs. So what happens is when a dog has normal stool consistency, it actually, as the stool passes out from the body into the world, it actually expresses the glands. They exist at, if, if, the, if the rear end, I'm trying to use colloquial terms, if the rear end was a clock face, they are basically at four and eight o'clock are the exit ports for the anal glands. And so normal stool enables your pet to actually express their anal glands. What happens in two basic scenarios, whether there's loose stool, so hence the vomiting and diarrhea I talked about earlier, or there's an inflammatory process. So in dogs, typically their histamine release for allergies exists on the skin. So I find a lot of dogs that are itchy tend to have itchy rear ends and they tend to get that inflamed area up and the glands aren't able to express themselves as normally. So. I typically will have to express the anal glands of a dog with some allergies. And linked with allergies, you can get GI upset. So it's all just a, a, a vicious anal gland circle there. Um, the consistency of the anal glands is, as I describe it, it looks like motor oil. Certainly doesn't smell like oil, uh, motor oil, but it certainly looks and feels like motor oil when you're in there. I don't um, advise anyone feeling anal glands without gloves or anything. And I actually, honestly, I don't advise you actually, um, I don't advise anyone expressing anal glands. I think that's something that, um, you know, the, the veterinarian or veterinary team member that's trained to do that, I think are the best people to, to do that. And I think that's something you should, you should leave there. Um, some groomers will express from the outsides. I, I, 
on a small dog, maybe you can get success. I find it difficult because I have to go in about an inch to actually sometimes more to get the back of the anal gland. And the, the concept of expressing them is to put pressure on the back, ease pressure and pull outward to the outside. And you actually are able to express the anal glands themselves. Um, they range in size from little peas to half grapes. Um, and the expression is, like I said, it can be mortar oil consistency if it's been hanging around there. So if the pet hasn't been able to express their anal glands, you start to get these flakes of material. The, the, the anal gland excretions tend to solidify and get flakes. And then the next stage, if they're solidifying more, it becomes almost like, like cock. Um, caulking that you would use for uh, a bathroom. So it's very difficult to express, very thick and goopy and very difficult to express. Um, so when I am expressing those, those, those factors, um, I always tell the clients, they're gonna hate me today, they're gonna love me tomorrow because it's gotta feel weird. Any sort of pressure buildup, whether you have a, a swelling or inflammation, it's gotta feel uncomfortable. And that's why your dog is out there licking their rear end. Um, if they can reach the rear end, they lick it, they typically will scoot across the ground or they'll lick either side of the rear end. You'll see that hair loss just on either left and right side of the tail. Those are telltale signs that their anal glands are bothering them and that you should take your vet to a veterinary, your pet to a veterinarian to express them. So, so what happens in the worst case scenario is if the anal gland is unable to be expressed, it will it will grow and blow and blow and blow, and then eventually it will abscess. And it is incredibly painful. And dogs present this way with basically, you'll see the anus and to the either four or eight o'clock position, you'll literally see an opening with pus coming out. And we have to go in there with pain meds, antibiotics, sometimes sedation and surgeries needed with drains and so forth. Um, but it's very painful. So the f best thing is, is you will, you will begin to know the signs and symptoms of your dog's um, showing you that they need their anal glands expressed. And if that's the case, then definitely just call your vet up. Um, we do them as what we call tech run back appointments. Um, like I said, allergic dogs, I'm expressing their anal glands probably once a month in severe allergies, but um, any sort of vomiting diarrhea, you wanna take your pet to the vet and part of the rectal exam is to feel the anal glands. Um, after they do get damaged in an abscess, there's a lot of scar tissue and I can feel that and I always tell clients that the scar tissue probably inhibits the gland's ability to full, to fill fully and therefore they may need expression more often. Um, but, but those are anal glands and, and that's the relevance of things and um, I think it's important that you know the signs. So look for the scooting, licking, just on comfort back there. Um, the other sign they do is when they do defecate, they'll defecate multiple times in little defecations because it hurts them and it bothers them and they'll just be having little defecations, not necessarily diarrhea, um, but they'll have that. So, so definitely watch out for your pet for anal glands. Um, cats, very rarely, but every so often with cats, we have to go in there and express their anal glands. Um, they really don't like it. Um, and honestly, um, I worked for a guy who had very big fingers and I used to joke that when I went in and had to do the anal glands that the pets actually liked me better. Um, but that's, that, that's for another time. So look out the signs, look out for the signs of anal glands and talk to your veterinarian and go from there. We'll take a short break after these messages and we'll come back and talk about some more wonderful things. You're listening to Your Pet Matters on 1077, 1077, thebrock.com. 
Everyone has a weekend pet project, and our producer does too. It's time for the producer's pet project, your source for pet news, recall alerts, adoption services, and helpful tips and tricks to make sure your pet is as happy, healthy, and safe as they can be. The producer's pet project is underwritten in part by your other family doctor, the Animal Hospital at Kingston and Blauenberg. Small hospital, big medicine. Hello everyone, I hope you're all enjoying this week's episode of Your Pet Matters. This is your producer, Jada Peterson, bringing you another edition of the Producer's Pet Project. This week's project is an article on how to properly wash your pets. This particular article can be found on douglasfeedandpetsupply.com in the pet section and is written by Anonymous. The link will be provided on our Facebook page for you to read during the show. Without further ado, let's get to the article. No matter what kind of pet you have, regular baths can be a healthy part of their care. But baths should be given gently to be sure they aren't hurting pets more than they're helping them. According to the article, not all pets need the same number of baths, and depending on the species and its living conditions, some pets may never need intense bathing. Pet owners must recognize that every pet, however, will have its own distinct odor and may shed skin and fur regularly. Here's a few tips from the article to properly wash your pets. One way to properly clean them is to brush first. Before beginning the bath, brush your pet thoroughly or wipe away any accumulated dirt or debris from its fur, scales, or skin so soap and shampoo can be more effective. Owners must also use the correct products of their pets and bathe them in a non-slip area. Choose the proper shampoos, soaps, and conditioners for your type of pet and their grooming needs. Human products are too harsh and strongly scented for use with pets. If you'll be bathing your pet in a tub, be sure the surface is stable so they don't slip. Putting down a non-slip mat or towel before starting the bath can give them a good, safe surface. Another tip is to use proper water temperature as well as protecting the eyes and ears of your pet. Water that is too hot can scold your pet, while water that is too cold will not clean as thoroughly. Ideally, the water should be warm to the touch. When bathing your pet, take extra care to keep soap out of their eyes and ears, which can quickly become irritated. If necessary, use a clean, damp cloth to clean the face, but without soap. I hope you all found this pet project to be informative. To find out more, visit our Facebook page. Dr. T will be right back. So stay tuned to 107.7 The Bronx and 107.7TheBronx.com. That's a wrap for this Saturday's edition of the Producers Pet Project. Tune in next week for more pet news and alerts only on Your Pet Matters. The Producers Pet Project is underwritten in part by your other family doctor, the Animal Hospital at Kingston and Blauenberg, your pet's life partner in medicine. For more information online, it's BarkMeowVets.com. Time spent with our pets is never wasted, but that's why it's important to take the time to care for their health. And right here's the best place to do it with Your Pet Matters. So let's bring it to their lifelong wellness partner, Dr. T at Progressive Veterinary Care. And let's keep their tails wagging with Your Pet Matters. Welcome back. And if you're just joining us, I was talking about how anal glands play play an important role in the life of a veterinarian. Um, Like I said, it's my bread and butter. Uh, We talked about what anal glands were. One thing I I forgot to mention is that dogs and cats can actually spontaneously um, secrete their anal gland uh, excretions. They can spontaneously express them. Um, Dogs, usually large dogs in stressful situations will happen, but you you might notice that. that The three categories of the smell I talked about were metallic, fishy, and oh my God, OMG mode. So you might smell that in a situation it can be a stressful situation so don't be surprised but like i said if there's if there's any indication of uh licking scooting it's something you definitely want to take care of so you don't get the abscess um yeah so i want that that was um anal glands but i I want to move on to something different right now um as you know i've been um 
dealing with the uh, adoption of my dog, uh, Flossie Chikubi from uh, A Great Rescue, um, straight from the heart. And you know, part of every rescue group is they actually test the pet for heart wound disease. Um, what I wanted to do was, you know, I want to know what's going on with my dog. I've, I'm adopting a, a basically middle-aged dog, five years old, um, unknown history, lived on the streets of Puerto Rico, had numerous litters, um, you know, and I, I wanted to make sure, like I would for any dog of this age category, any age, would be to do a, a standard blood panel, standard blood panel of what we call a CBC chem panel, um, CBC standing for complete blood cell. It tells us how our red cells, our white cells, our platelets are all doing. Um, chemistry panel basically tells us how our um, metabolites, uh, sodium phosphorus, calcium chloride, glucose, um, how our pancreas is looking, how our kidney is looking, how our liver is looking. So just a major, major organ panel. And in addition to this, the lab that I deal with uh, adds on what we call a 4DX. So the lab I deal with is IDEX, phenomenal lab. Um, two main lab companies in veterinary medicine are IDEX and Antec. I deal with IDEX right now, um, and they have what's called a 4DX, which basically tests for heartworm disease and tests for three tick-borne illnesses. Um, especially in my area of the country, in Jersey, I want to know what the Lyme, Interlichia, Anaplasma status is, is of my pet. So, like I said, she was tested in January, and she was found to be negative for heartworm disease. Um, I think they did a, a, a test for heartworm and tick-borne illness. So I tested her again in last month, April, and she was positive. Um, it's positive for the heartworm antigen. And so being positive, and like I would recommend for any client, any patient I have, um, you do actually a secondary test. So I think I did two. <laughs> I did another heartworm antigen test by a different method. Um, and I also tested for microfilaria, which are actually the adult worms. Um, she was negative for the microfilaria, thank God, um, but she was positive for the antigen. So it confirmed that she is heartworm positive. So let me go back and talk about heartworm disease. So heartworm disease is something that it, you probably don't hear much about unless you're in the southern states. And from my perspective, practicing in New Jersey, I deal with heartworm disease cases on many of the rescue dogs from the south. They're wandering around without owners down there. There's a huge mosquito load. They get bitten and they test positive and we treat them when they're um, in the rescue shelters here and they get adopted. But heartworm disease is, Basically, it's a parasite. It's a bloodborne parasite that is transmitted by mosquitoes. Okay, so a big misconception is clients will bring their fecal sample in and they'll be thinking that we're actually testing for heartworm disease in a fecal sample. And I understand why they feel this way. And if you're one of those pet parents that go, what, what is he talking about? It's a bloodborne illness. So. The preventatives that we use, the preventatives to kill heartworm disease that we use, also take care of gastrointestinal parasites. And so when you give your dog the monthly preventative, it's usually a chewable, it will, it will eliminate heartworm disease or it will help prevent, I shouldn't say eliminate, and that's something that the Heartworm Society would definitely be talking to me about. It doesn't eliminate heartworm disease, it helps prevent heartworm disease, it also helps prevent gastrointestinal parasites. So that's where I think that misconception of bringing a fecal sample in 
to test for heartworm disease is. The way we test for heartworm disease is a blood sample. So it is a disease that, like I said, you don't hear much about. Um, it is spread by mosquitoes and it can infect our dogs. And if left untreated, can actually, the worms can grow very large. They can infect the right side of the heart. And yes, it can be fatal. When I say the worms can grow quite large, they can actually get to a foot in length. So it can affect dogs, cats, ferrets, um, wolves, coyotes, foxes, sea lions. It's a couple rare instances of human cases, but um, it's, it's usually the wild species such as foxes and coyotes in my area that are and considered important carriers of disease. Um, unfortunately, your dog tends to be just a natural host for the heartworm, uh, which means that they can live inside your dog and grow and mature. So the best option is heartworm prevention. So if you bring your dog to the vet as a puppy, that's when we start the heartworm prevention. Um, six weeks is usually great. There's a lot of good preventatives out there. Heartworm disease can also affect cats. Um, you don't hear much about it, and that's because many of us veterinarians aren't really doing a best job to talk about heartworm disease. Unlike dogs, it really isn't fatal. Um, typically, if they're infected, they will have later, they will have respiratory issues um, later on in life. But you can actually test, um, so part of our blood panels for cats actually test for heartworm disease. And yes, there is a preventative for heartworm disease in cats. So definitely talk to your veterinarian. Um, so like I said, it is a mosquito spread disease. Um, so what happens is the, as the disease grows in the hosts in my area, the coyotes and foxes, you get these female worms producing baby worms called microfilaria. And when the mosquito bites to take a blood sample or blood meal, it picks up these baby worms, which then can develop into an infective stage larva. And then when your, that same mosquito bites a dog, then it can transmit those infected larvae to your pet. And if your pet is on heartworm prevention, the preventative usually kills those larvae. But the difficulty is, is that heartworm disease can take up to six months before you actually see it. So that's why we talk about, especially in my area, we talk about being on the preventative all year round because if you happen to miss a month and your dog gets bitten by a mosquito, then it won't be now, it'll be like six months later, they could be, um, positive for the results. And so a couple couple things there is that I once had a client who thought that, uh, her health philosophy that if everyone, every dog around her, her neighborhood was on the preventative, it meant her dog wouldn't get the disease because those other dogs were on the preventative. And that, and that isn't true. And you know, you really need to have your dog on the preventative. Secondly, um, there's also a misconception that if your dog is indoor, they will never get heartworm disease. Um, you know, I'm gonna call on this because a mosquito can go anywhere. We get, clearly we get bitten by mosquitoes outside more often than, but it, it takes a, a single mosquito to bite your dog that can spread the heartworm disease. So being on the preventative is fine. And I had one client that actually had their dog go to the bathroom on wee wee pads but clearly they would take that dog for a walk outside. So your dog is always gonna be exposed outside. So definitely, you know, the preventative, it's, it's, um, it's definitely worth it. They, they work very, very well. And the saying goes, it's much more 
it's much safer for your pet from a life expectancy and it's cheaper to actually do the preventatives than it is to treat for heartworm disease. So the signs and symptoms of heartworm disease are usually none <laughs> uh, because we usually detect and find them early, but in right heart failure, you're gonna be dealing with cardiac disease. You can have sudden collapse, you can have coughing, you can have sudden death in, uh, you know, in pets. So it's something that you definitely want to do. So. Um, the Heartworm Society. So if you ever want to get information on here, I would go to the American Heartworm Society. They are the gold standard. They are the, they're the ones that we follow. They're the protocols that we follow to treat heartworm disease. Um, so you definitely want to test your pet year round. And the reason is, again, because it takes so many months for this disease to actually show itself. Um, and you know, I'm not perfect. Have I missed a heartworm preventative in my pet? Absolutely. And so um, these are these are reasons why I definitely want to test. And and my dog is not the only dog that tested positive. I've had this is the third case I've had in my career where a pet was tested at a shelter and then became and was tested positive later. So definitely the preventative is huge. Um, the two major preventatives, the three major preventatives are HeartGuard, um, which everyone's heard of, Interceptor Plus it's now called is the other one, and then the topical is called Revolution. So those are the three main heartworm preventions um, that we use. Um, and uh, whatever your vet carries is great. I would definitely you know talk to your vet and do that. So, but definitely test your dog annually. I know people say, oh, well, I can't test every two years and stuff. There's a trend to test every two years, but I mean, why take that chance? Why get to a situation where you're, you're, you're definitely dealing with a positive sample? What we'll do is we'll take a short break right now and I'll come back and I'll talk about more about heartworm disease. You're listening to Your Pet Matters on 1077, 1077thebronc.com. Time spent with our pets is never wasted, but that's why it's important to take the time to care for their health. And right here is the best place to do it with Your Pet Matters. So let's bring it to their lifelong wellness partner, Dr. T at Progressive Veterinary Care. And let's keep their tails wagging with Your Pet Matters. Time spent with our pets is never wasted, but that's why it's important to take the time to care for their health. And right here's the best place to do it with Your Pet Matters. So let's bring it to their lifelong wellness partner, Dr. T at Progressive Veterinary Care. And let's keep their tails wagging with Your Pet Matters. I'm back. And if you're just tuning in, I was talking about heartworm disease in dogs and cats and the fact that my current adoption is now positive for heartworm disease. So, um, what I'll talk about now is I'll just talk about, so so the reason why heartworm preventatives aren't 100% is, is that if you happen to miss the prevention or your pet was infected, it takes around 51 days or so for that immature larva of that heartworm that can be killed by the preventatives, but if it matures to a certain stage, then that's when the preventatives are unable to kill it. And probably that's what's going on with my dog. Um, we haven't quite reached the full worm stage, the microfilaria we call it, so um, I don't need the full treatment. So, so what's involved in the treatment of heartworm disease? Well, if we were full-blown positive for the antigen that your standards vet test can, can your vet's um, test can do, um, and we're microfilaria positive, we actually have to treat. There's a protocol that involves steroid, 
doxycycline, um, and a very potent injection. Um, a total of three injections are given. Your dog has to be incredibly rested during these times because when you're killing these worms, you're potentially creating blood clots, and blood clots can be very harmful depending on where they end up um, traveling. So it's very important to keep your dog really well rested and administer the treatment. Um, and then once the treatment's complete, then we retest so many months later, we part of that process is involving the actual preventative, et cetera. So um, it's, it's interesting. So in my dog's case, because I don't have the actual adult worms there, I'm actually doing steroid and I'm actually doing doxycycline. So the use of the doxycycline, which is an antibiotic, is used to help kill, um, there's a bacteria that the heartworm has, it's called Wolbachia, and it helps do that, and it helps um, prevent the, the potential side effects of any sort of treatment, and it helps prevent the actual growth of the worms, et cetera. So, um, and I'm using a, a prednisone, which is a steroid, as an anti-inflammatory. So hopefully on this, and the other thing I did was, um, I actually have her on HeartGuard. Um, because a lot of the studies have been done with HeartGuard to show the effects of, of the proper treatment. I usually use Interceptor Plus for heartworm, and I think it's an excellent heartworm prevention, and I'm sure there are successful cases out there using Interceptor Plus um, to treat heartworm disease, but in my dog's case, I just, you know, I don't have the data, so I'm, I switched her to HeartGuard until we get this treatment done. Um, and I'm gonna test her in probably four months or so. Um, being paranoid, I'm gonna test her in two months, but I won't be surprised if she's still positive, but four or six months later, hopefully she'll clear and be negative. Um, um, so, thank God I didn't have to do the big, big treatment, which involves these intramuscular injections of this um, heartworm killer. It's a, it's a very potent killer called melarsamine, and uh, the protocol is inject one, month one, and then month two you do two injections two days apart. It can be very painful. Um, I've had some dogs needing a lot of pain management. I've seen some swelling, et cetera, and you are killing the worm, so you have to run the risk of the effects that the um, dead worm bodies within the blood supply have. Um, you know, in some really severe infections, you literally, um, when I first started practicing, we actually took a blood sample of a dog and put it on a microscope slide, and you could see the worms wriggling around on the microscope slide, and that's a huge, huge infection. And you can actually see worms on ultrasound, if you did ultrasound of the heart, and there are surgical procedures where they literally go in and they pluck the worms out of the heart. Um, so it can be very, very severe. But it's, it's so easily preventable, um, especially in today's day and age, that using the preventatives is, it's kind of a no-brainer. I think that if you, your dog's not on a preventative, definitely get them on it. If it's been a long time since your dog's been on a preventative, uh, the protocol would be to restart and then retest your dog. Um, and if you've adopted a dog, it never hurts. So my advice to the rescue group was every rescued pet, and if your dog is rescued and comes in our, in our, through our doors, we actually recommend retesting in four to six months just to make sure. Because again, if it just so happened that your pet was found somewhere, they've already had the heartworm in them, but they're testing negative because it, it's not showing up enough to test, and they haven't been on the preventative and that 51-day period goes, they can, they can test positive. I did have another dog from Puerto Rico test positive. Um, and so there are, there are also some controversy about how to treat um, the clients in this case decided to treat the slow kill method, which is actually using your preventative, which is kind of what I'm doing. I'm, I'm again, being, being a little overly cautious with my dog, I'm doing the antibiotics and steroids and the preventative. Some people just choose the preventative and they retest their dog in six months. Um, so it's one of those things that, that I would do. Um, it's very, very, 
um, safe to use the preventatives. Um, I always joke that, you know, even dogs undergoing chemotherapy can still have the heart wound prevention. Um, so it's a very good preventative to be on. And it does have the added bonus of helping to prevent the infection of gastrointestinal parasites, uh, depending on what product you use. They do the typical roundworms, hookworms, and whipworms. Um, so it's something definitely to do. But, but you know, talk to your veterinarian. If, if, you've, if you're adopted a puppy, start them on heartworm prevention. I'd also start them on tick and flea prevention. Um, ironically, some of the topical tick and flea preventions actually have a repellency, and they'll also kill and repel mosquitoes. Um, so it's something to do there uh, to think about. Um, and keep them going once a month. Um, there are some uh, uh, products that you don't have to put on monthly, but I would definitely do. And there's an injectable heartworm prevention. Um, they're using in, they, they find success in um, other countries where um, they administer it and go from there. I, I personally, um, not to say that there is no studies done, the effectiveness and safetyness of this, I'm not a fan of long-acting injectables in general. Um, once you give something, you know, there's no turning back, so I'm, I'm a fan of the, of the rolls. And, and all these products come with a wonderful sticker that you put on your calendar. Um, with today's smartphones, you can definitely just put a reminder in. There are some actual pet apps out there that actually will remind you to give your um, heartworm prevention. And there are some home pharmacy services, vet pharmacy services that will literally send you the heartworm prevention once a month so that you don't even have to, to think about doing that. It's just a cue that it shows up uh, in the mail or delivered. And so it's one of those things. But it's, it's part and parcel that what I'm learning about the, the whole adoption process of these pets and everything like that. So um, I'm fortunate that, you know, I'm trying to kind of restrict her activity, but I, you know, she's non-clinical. It's, you know, I, I want to take things easy with her. I don't want to go gung-ho, but um, I'm glad I've started that process. So she's been on the doxycycline, what, two weeks now? And the steroids for a couple weeks now. Um, and I switched over to HeartGuard at that point. So She's looking at me right now, but it's uh, it's pretty cool. So um, for cats, um, I would definitely get them on the preventative. Um, it's something definitely think about. And again, the I get a lot of indoor cat owners. So there's there's two there's two misconceptions. One is not to nothing to do with heartworm disease, but there's a misconception that indoor cats don't get fleas. Um, with all this global warming, that's proven to be not true. Um, it is amazing how many indoor cats come down with fleas. Um, and the flea cycle is so long that you have to treat for fleas for a minimum of three months. So, um, But that's a separate entity. The other thing is indoor cats can get gastrointestinal parasites. Guess who brings them in? It's either the other family pet, the dog, or the people. Um, you know, we bring everything in on our shoes and boots. Um, cats walk around barefoot, and they like to groom and they clean themselves. So a lot of times the GI parasites are transferred that way. So that's easily tested. That's why the CDC recommends fecal checking um, both dogs and cats on a regular basis. And there is a heartworm prevention. So it, it's not, it, if your cat is indoor, it doesn't mean they're not going to be bitten by a mosquito. It happens. It can happen. And uh, definitely you want to um, talk to your veterinarian about that. So that's my take on heartworm disease. Um, talk to your veterinarian, talk about the preventatives, get your pets on them. It can only lead to good things. Um, and um, it has the added bonus of dealing with GI parasites, which could then prevent 
anal gland issues, which I talked about at the beginning of the show. So see, it's all a great, wonderful circle of veterinary medicine. By taking heartworm prevention, you can help uh, prevent gastrointestinal parasites, which can lead to diarrhea, which can lead to full anal glands. So you prevent that, and I don't have to go in there and um, check your pet's anal glands. At least not your pet, but someone else's pet, I'll have to do that. Thanks for listening. Had a great time today. Um, so remember to check your pet for scooting, licking the rear end. Get on the preventatives, people. Heartworm preventatives, take and flea preventatives. They can only do good. And remember, love your pet like they love you unconditionally. Have a great day. That's all for this week's visit with your pet's lifelong wellness partner, Dr. T at Progressive Veterinary Care. Progressive Veterinary Care, making waves in pet health care. To access more information online, go to ProgressiveVeterinaryCare.com. And be sure to stay tuned to 1077 The Bronx every Saturday at 10 a.m. to keep up with your pet's health with Your Pet Matters, only on 1077 The Bronx.